0: Everybody, give Lori Nellis a big hand clap. I want to tell you about her. Many of you know our friend Lori. She is uh, the director's, executive director. Her and her husband Larry run New Frontiers, which is a wonderful, wonderful camp out in downtown, close to Smithville. We send our kids there. We just sent them there earlier uh, in June for a week long of camp. And it's just, they've been doing this for twenty years. Is that right? 30 years, 30 years they've been investing into, into people in this area, into lots and lots of children. Many of you know her already. Some of you, this is your first exposure to her. Uh, I don't know that, that she would say this about herself. I don't know, because we've never had this conversation, but I'm going to say it. I think she has the spiritual gift of a teacher, and so like I told you guys last week, if you were here at the end of the service last week, you heard me say, I think it's important for local churches to be exposed to all five of the fivefold ministry gifts, right. and not just one or two, but all five. And so, I, I believe I recognize that uh, gift in your life, and I'm just excited to for you to come and share treasure with us today. That you the treasure that you are, but the treasure that is the Word of God, and for us to receive it. So, would you guys just pray with me this morning, Heavenly Father? I thank you that you've got words for us this morning that are not, not just things to come in one ear and go out the other, but they're to come in and they're to transform our thinking and to change our hearts. And so, Lord, we just pray that we would be receptive to what you want to do. Holy Spirit, we know it's you that, that does the work, and we want to come into agreement with that. We want to come in, in line, in alignment with what you're doing. So we just yield ourselves to you right now. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Give Lori a big hand clap one more time.
1: Well, good morning, Saints. Good morning. Good morning. I'm very honored to be here and happy to be here. I, uh, when, when JD asked me to do this, I thought, hmm, I don't know about that. That's a little bit different environment than a camp environment, but, you know, the word is the word, so let's just go for it. So I thought, well, what should this, uh, what should this day be? What should it be about? And uh, um, I decided to, the, about 15 years ago, I had a chapter come into my life. I mean, it was always there, but you know how it is. You don't always see it until you're supposed to, I guess. And uh, that chapter led me down a path of freedom that has radically changed how I see myself, how I see God, and how I see our ministry in the earth And so I decided that that would be the best thing to do today, is to share with you the chapter that gave me uh, freedom. And so uh, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I think it's going to be up here pretty soon. Uh, The title is much more. I've never had to title anything before. And uh, when J.D. asked me that yesterday, I was actually walking around in the mall, and I thought... I don't know, (laughs) Uh, but the the whole context of this or the whole emphasis of this chapter is that there is much more, much more, and you guys sang a song this morning that just confirmed that this is uh, what we're supposed to talk about this morning because you said, open the door, I don't remember the words exactly, but open the doors, we're ready, we want more, we want more, is that right? All right, and I thought, okay, here we go, so the the, uh, passage is Paul talking to the Corinthians church or the church of Corinth. And most of you probably know the church of Corinth wasn't the most um, obedient or the most righteous church in of of themselves. There was, uh, Paul had to write them instructions for changing uh, some of their behaviors. Uh, They weren't known for being the church that did write. But they were a church that was passionate about Jesus Christ and so Paul's writing to them. And, you know, Paul is the main writer in Scripture who writes to the church. And, you know, there's, there was, there's the people who write to the Jews and the, and the Gentiles and the church. In the Old Testament, there was just Jew and Gentile. But in the New Testament, after the cross, there is Jew, Gentile, and the church made up of Jews and Gentiles who have received Christ and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Right. We're a new nation. A new race of people on the earth. This is what the cross did. This chapter is about how the cross made a difference that is inconceivable to us without the eyes of the spirit. When you came to the cross, you came there with a consciousness of your sin. Otherwise, you would have just walked on by. You come to the cross with a consciousness of sin because of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant brought us the law. And the law was meant to be a tutor to teach us that we need a Savior. See, back in the Old Testament, the uh, Israelites had been brought out of Egypt. And uh, God is talking to them, and he verbally gives them the Ten Commandments, which in Hebrew are not thou shalt not, they're thou shalt. And they're much more... uh, they're much more impossible than they are in English. For example, I could probably live my whole life without murdering anyone. I think I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but in, Eng- in Hebrew, the words are that I would be a life-giver in everything that I do. And I can think of a few times when I wasn't a life-giver, but where my words brought death. So... Um, I can probably go my whole life uh, without committing adultery, but can I be a promise keeper in all of my promises and someone who loves my husband? Okay, so in Hebrew, they're, they're much more dramatic um, than they are in English. So when we look at the, this, uh, this old covenant, it had a glory to it. The old covenant brought people to an awareness of their sin and a desire in them to do better. But the new covenant gives us the opportunity to recognize that while we can't do better, we can be better because of what we believe and of the finished work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We can be transformed. The very last chapter of Second, uh, not chapter, last verse of Second Corinthians chapter three is where I want to start. I know you're supposed to start at the beginning, but uh, we're going to go to the very last verse. We can all draw close to him with a veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the question is, do we want to be transfigured? And in your NIV, it's transformed. Do we want to be changed? Well, what does it mean to be changed? Well, if, if I'm poor, if I have poverty in my life, to be changed would mean that I would have abundance. Right. If I'm sick, then to change, to be changed, would mean that I'm healthy. If I'm, I'm supposed to have three examples, I'm trying to think of another one. <laughs> if I'm what? Uh, somebody give me one. What? If I'm angry, yes, then I would be able to step into uh, into joy. And peace, and the anger could could go away. So yeah, I want to be transformed. And in the, this is a passion translation. Uh, it's kind of a new translation, but it uh, it uh, it was very careful with its translation of words. And it says that 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 it uses the word transfigured and said. And that's because Paul in this passage is actually talking about the transfiguration that happened uh, to Jesus. So let's go there for a minute. Uh, when Jesus was standing on the mount, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration because no one's exactly sure which mountain he was on Uh, but uh, he's standing there and uh, he's got three disciples with him, Peter, James and John and they're sleeping and Jesus is visited by Moses who represents the law in the Old Testament and Elijah who represents the prophet in the Old Testament and so here is Moses and Elijah bearing witness with Jesus that he is the fulfillment of all that they could not do And they are encouraging him. It's just before he dies, they're encouraging him. They're saying, what we couldn't accomplish, you're going to do. This is amazing. You know, Jesus was human. Uh, And I think they were also encouraging him that, you know, it's going to be good. God is in you. You're going to be all right. Peter wakes up. James and John wake up. And I know we always make fun of Peter uh, because he always says something that's not quite Right, But in this case, he says something that's so wrong that God the Father has to intervene. <laughs> and This is significant, but it, what Peter does in this chapter is what we do in the modern church. So before we're criticizing Peter, we need to hear what he said and then go, Oh, if I had been on that mountain and my name was Peter, which means stone... I would have said the same thing. But thanks be to God that He comes in and changes everything with His words. So what happened is Peter, James, and John are they wake up and Peter says, Let's build an altar. It was during the feast where they would build these little I don't really understand the feast all that much, but they would build these things, you know, tabernacles to, to uh or altars to uh for some reason. I don't really know why. It doesn't really matter, I guess, for this. Uh, but they, it, Peter suggests it's an honor. He wants to honor Jesus, He wants to honor Moses, and he wants to honor Elijah. you've got to remember, Peter grew up under the Old Covenant, and so who are the most important you know heroes, who are the superheroes of his life? Moses and Elijah. And who's his current superhero? Jesus. So he's like, "Wow, they're all here. This is amazing. let's Let's build an altar and celebrate. And God the Father comes in, in a cloud. Just try to imagine that, right? You're just standing there, and you're, you're, you're already seeing Jesus, and he's looking pretty dazzling. And you're just like, okay, this is an out-of-the-world, out-of-this-world experience. And your only response is, well, you know, let's, let's honor all this. And you think you're like, I'm doing the good Christian thing here, right? I mean, there weren't Christians at that point yet, but he, he, he thinks, yeah, I'm doing it right. I'm, I'm honoring what I'm supposed to honor. And then God the Father swoops in in a cloud, And he says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Not them. Hear him. And when the cloud goes away, Jesus is left standing there. Of course, the disciples are on the ground full of of fear. But they didn't run away. It's not a fear that makes you run away. Here, the Lord draws us to him. In the Old Testament, when God came in in a cloud, it was when the Israelites said, all that you say, we will do. Your English Bible makes it sound so proper, just like Peter. Let's build the altars. Everything you say, we will do. God swoops in in a cloud. It was a dark cloud with thunder. And then the words, don't let anybody come near. Because if you come near, they'll die. Don't even let your cow come over here. Because if he does and he steps on this mountain, he'll die. Under the old covenant, there was law. And when you said you could keep it, then it was up to you to keep it. And we know we can't keep it. And God came in in a dark cloud. And then Moses went up the mountain and he got the commandments. God had spoken; them. Now he writes them. Moses brings it down. He doesn't even get in the camp. Because they have already broken the law. They're worshiping the golden calf. But on the Mount of Transfiguration... God the Father comes in in a bright cloud because where Jesus is, the law is fulfilled. And because the law is fulfilled, there is no condemnation, only instruction. Peter, James, and John, their names mean stone, replace, or supplant grace. You have this amazing story that actually happened. Where Jesus brings his presence to the earth. His, his sublime heavenly presence is unveiled there on the mountain. And their names mean the stone is replaced by grace. The stone there is the law. That brings us back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Can we just put the... I'm just going to read what we'll start at verse 5. It's easier to read it up there than it is in here. So, <laughs> Yet we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. For our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. And the word entirely there is really important. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the spirit pours out life. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does a ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? What once was glorious no longer holds any glory. I'm going to read that part again. What once was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory. But now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. We are not like Moses who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened. For even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds whenever they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So until now, whenever the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him with a veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just think about a mirror. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see, oh, wow, I'm amazing. Or do you go, oh, my hair's out of place. Right? Which do we do? I guess I'm expecting you to respond. I forget I'm in church. Uh, the, the, the uh, well, I did mean it that way. I just mean, you know, usually I'm just with a bunch of kids and they just talk. Uh, we look in a, in a mirror and we see our faults. And a mirror has no ability to fix our faults. It can't do anything. The mirror is like the law. And when we see the law in it, it is unbending. And it reveals our faults. And when we see our faults, then we feel condemned. And when we feel condemned, it brings death to us. In the Garden of Eden, Satan would have had no ability to do anything if there was no law. The strength of sin is in the law. If I punch J.D., there's a law that says I... Why did everybody laugh? If I punch him, I can, he can file a suit against me and charge me with assault. There's a law. But if there was no law, then I could punch him at will. There would be no consequence. The strength of sin is in the law. You can't get a speeding ticket if there's no speeding limit. If you're driving down, what's that road? The Audubon? In Germany, there's no speed limit. You can't get a speeding ticket there. But you can on 96 today. <laughs> All right. It wasn't me, but there's definitely a speed trap going on there. You can get a ticket because there's a speed limit. So where there is a law, as glorious as law is, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is perfect. The law reveals the heart of God to us. When when, when God says, this is who I am, or when he, actually, let me change that. When God says, this is who I want you to be, he's saying, this is who I am, and you're in my image, so you be this. It's glorious. It's amazing. It's perfect. And we're all excited about it, and then we look in the mirror, and we go, oh, my hair's out of place. And then we go try to find some way to fix it, and we can't. And until we get that, we will be without hope. The law brings us to the place of understanding that we need a savior. Right. The problem is we try to do both. We, pro- we try to get saved by grace because we know we can't save ourselves. And then we get up from the cross and we pick up the law. I'm going to be good. And I'm going to serve. And I'm going to be obedient. Well, you know what? The older brother. The older brother. He was obedient. All these years I've served you. And you never threw a party for me. Right? All these years I've served you. All these years I've been obedient to you. I'm still out of the house. Was he a son? Yes. Was he acting like one? No. Was he receiving the benefits of one? No. That story is actually about that. Actually, the story is about the father. But this story is about the responses of humans. And the older son is representative of the Pharisees or the churches today who would bear a mixture of grace and law. We are saved by grace, but we also walk by grace. We are transfigured by grace. We only live in grace. And when we pick up the law, we bring death to our ministry. For years, I sat under a ministry from little, little girl on of mixture. Right. And I only understood Jesus as someone who would save me from my sins. But I was a pretty good kid too. So in the scope of things, I was like, you know, I don't really get the cross. I was actually an adult when I asked a pastor that. I just don't get the cross. This chapter tells us about the cross. It tells us <laughs> I'm doing something wrong. It's telling me I'm doing something wrong. That's exactly what the law does. It tells us we're doing something wrong, and then we focus on that and we become conscious of our sin. So then, when I look in the mirror, what am I conscious of? My sin. But what is He telling us to look at in that mirror? He's saying the Lord is spirit. And when we look in that mirror, we see the spirit revealing to us who we are in Christ. And when we see how forgiven we are, then the the mirror brings us life. If I look in that mirror and I see my sin under the law, I walk away like the rich young ruler. My head down. But when I look in that mirror and I see forgiveness already been done. When I see that I am as he is in this world. When I see righteousness. When I see possibility. When I see a God who wants to use me the way I am because of what he's done. Then I can go and be the guy in the next chapter. I just jumped on you there, but... The rich young ruler and Zacchaeus are side by side in scripture, ordained by the Holy Spirit. The rich young ruler addressed Jesus under the law. Jesus answered him under the law. He walks away. Jesus doesn't walk after him because, he's not, because he was not willing to step outside of the law and trust him. He goes to Zacchaeus and he doesn't mention anything about the law. Zacchaeus has broken many of them. In man's eyes, Zacchaeus is a pretty... Lousy guy. But what is his response to Jesus? He invites him into his house. Right. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus goes say, Oh, duh, mm, not a good idea. He does and goes, okay. That could be cool. I'll invite my friends. You know? Never dawns on him that he's unworthy to have Jesus there. And then as he walks with Jesus and eats with Jesus and sees Jesus and experiences the joy of whatever they're doing, he's like, wow, you know, I want that kind of life. I want to be transfigured by you. And he gives, and he, uh, out, out of that becomes the works that should flow. He didn't give away his money to be accepted by Jesus. He was accepted by Jesus, and then he gave his money away. In the, old, in the Old Covenant, when Moses gets, gets, uh, comes down and the, sees them doing the uh, golden calf routine. You know, that brings death. 3,000 people die that day. Right. Go forward to the New Testament, new, uh, day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes. How many people join the church? 3,000. One brings death. The other brings life. But he comes down and he sees them worshiping, worshiping the golden calf. And he throws the tablets down, which is an act of grace. Had he brought them in the camp, everybody would have been out. And I don't mean slain in the spirit. They would have just been (laughs) slain, just gone. (laughs) Death is, uh, law is unbending. Moses goes back up the mountain. I used to think that God called him back up the mountain, but Moses says, I'll go back up the mountain. Perhaps I can make atonement for us. Perhaps he doesn't know. He knows the law is unbending. Now he knows they need grace. Perhaps I can make atonement for us. He goes up the mountain and he returns with law and grace. This covenant has glory until Jesus dies and rises again. After that, that covenant, grace and law, has no glory Did you hear that? It has no glory. When Jesus died, the old covenant, the law goes away. And what's left is the priceless grace of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And nothing is added to that. That's right. <laughs> nothing. Nothing can be added to that. Jesus. Makes atonement for us. He doesn't say perhaps. He just comes. Makes atonement for us. And then goes up. And he says. It's all about me. And I'm seated at the right hand of God. And now all you got to do is look at me and you'll be transformed it's the same word used in Romans 12 1 and 2 transforming of your mind the renewing of your mind well how do we do that I mean he's up there I'm down here in this chapter it talked about how he, it's talking about the spirit the role of the spirit on the earth he got the best job you know his job is to go around the earth and to convict. It says he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Lots of times we stop there. It's, a danger, it's always dangerous to stop in the middle of this passage. Of course, it's, you can't really stop anywhere in the Bible. You just got to keep going. Uh, but if you stop, then you walk away feeling like the Holy Spirit's job in my life is to convict me of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Ouch. Then it goes on. He's talking to his disciples. He says, of sin because they believe not on me. Well, that's not the disciples. He's not convicting them of not believing on them. He's saying that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to convict the world, the people who don't believe on me. He's going to convict them of sin under the law so that they know that they need me. Because I want them. I died for them. They're mine. I want them. So I'm going to send the spirit. And he's going to convict them of their sins so that they will come under what I've done for them. And you, you disciples, church, I'm going to convict you of righteousness. Because you're going to forget how forgiven you are. And when you forget how forgiven you are, 1 Peter says, your faith becomes ineffective. We think sin become our, our. We would think that our faith becomes ineffective because of sin, but it's not. We, our, our, we can, if that was the case, good right. luck with that, right. Yeah. Right? right? Our faith becomes ineffective when we forget how totally, completely forgiven we are by the finished work of Jesus Amen. Christ. Amen. Yeah. And then we stand in that. And the last lines for the devil, he's judged. We gotta remember that too. He has no power over you. Jesus stripped him of all of his power. So here we are now, if we choose to have an unveiled face, and that is a choice. You can walk under grace and law. It's mixture. Whenever I teach this, I always have people come up to me after and say, but we need to balance that grace thing out or people will just sin. Guys, people are going to sin. They don't need a license. They don't need our permission. It's going to happen. It's not because we preach grace. And I like it when people come up and ask me that because that means I'm right in line with Paul because if people came up to him and said, well, if grace abounds, shouldn't we sin all the more? But we got to remember For Paul, when he's talking about sin, it's a kingdom, it's a place, it's a noun in Romans. It's not a verb. The only time it's a verb is when they come back and say, should we sin all the more? That's an action. But Paul is saying, you have been moved from the kingdom of sin. And you are now standing in the kingdom of righteousness. And when you're over here, you can't be over there. And if you got from there to here by your good works, well then, okay, you could go backwards by your bad works. But you didn't get from there to here by your good works. You got there by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you got here by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you can only go back there if what you do is stronger than the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to hold you here. Mm, And when we stand there with that veil lifted and we see who he's made us to be, then we stop being conscious of our sin under the law and we start being conscious of our righteousness under the grace of God because of his work. And then we go out and change the world. Chapter 4 goes on to say we are shining lights. Why are we shining lights? Because we're feeling bad about who we are? Or because we're trying to keep the law? No. We're shining because people all around us are going, how can they be happy in times like this? How can they be, how can they be content? How can they be praying for, uh, you know, for someone to be healed? How can they believe this stuff? Because it's real. And because we can see it, but not everybody can see it. If you have a veil, you can't see it. The Jews believe the Old Testament, but they can't see Jesus there, which is amazing because Jesus is there everywhere. In fact, that's the only New Testament mandate for how we are supposed to study the word. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus said, see me in the Old Testament. See me in the stories. And then their hearts burned in them. In the Old Testament, we had the sheep. In the New Testament, we have communion. And every time we take of the bread and the blood, we remember. Not like a memory in the past, but we partake of it. We become beneficiaries of that work every time. The disciples took communion from house to house daily. And they walked in divine health we all with unveiled faces must stand before him and allow him to make us effective ministers of the new covenant so that the world desires him. If we only follow the the law, then they will only see religion. And they don't want that. They have to see the freedom, the liberty that comes from the spirit of God. All right, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for what you did. We thank you that you called us up on the Mount of Transfiguration with you. We thank you that, you that you were willing to come to the cross. But we thank you also that you were willing to rise and to go and sit at the Father's right hand and send your spirit so that each of us can be empowered from within with your law, written on our hearts, the love, life, and love. And Lord, we thank you that because of this, we don't have to focus on doing good, but that because we understand who you are, your goodness will flow through us to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you, Lord. Just stand up with me. Y'all are like, we like her better. She lets us out on time. That was, that was awesome. Amen. That's why you bring people in like that. Uh, and Lori, you're so busy all the time. I don't expect that you're keeping up with my messages every single week. <laughs> but um, just a few weeks ago, we said, let the gospel that saved you be the gospel that changes you. And um, that's the absolute truth, you guys. We, it's like uh, A dog. Going back to its vomit. That's in the scriptures. <laughs> you can say anything if it's in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> when we go back to the law, after we've had a taste of grace, and we go back to the law, that's like a dog returning to his vomit. Don't do it. Just continue to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Continue to Romans uh, 12-1-2 renew your mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then what's going to happen there is that you will be able to offer yourself as a living sacrifice someone come up and asked me just the day Bethany you you were asking me help me out with this like what you said Jesus performs so we don't have to I said, yeah, that's right, because we used to have to perform under the law, even though we never could. We could never measure up. That's why we had to have blood sacrifices and atone for our sins with the blood of bulls and goats. But Jesus, the perfect and spotless lamb, he came and he changed everything. And now that's the covenant we're under. Aren't you happy about that? Listen, if you're here today and you've... You're like, wow, that's that is not how I'm living. Listen, I'm not. She, Lori's not here to shame you. I'm not here to shame you. We're here to encourage you to say, hey, you don't have to live that way anymore. You can come out from underneath that. Can, like, maybe you're like, well, I, I, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Then we can pray for you today. The Holy Spirit does some things in your in your thinking, in your heart, to be free from the law of sin and death and to walk in grace. But if you're here today and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, I want to give us all this opportunity right now to do that. So would you, if you want to do that today, just would you just close your eyes and would you pray with me and you can just pray as I pray right now. And, uh, Heavenly Father, I just come to you right now and I just declare Jesus that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross that you came to this earth God that you were not the seed of man but you were the seed of God that you were born of a virgin that you lived a sinless and a perfect life you lived a life that I was always intended to live you lived it for me and you, you sacrificed yourself you were the pure and spotless lamb and you died and that, that perfect God atonement it reconciled me to the Father and I thank you for that and I believe that you were raised from the dead and I give you my life help me help me now see you clearly, help me now see who you've created me to be help me follow you all the days of my life I want to love you, I want to receive your love in Jesus name Amen Amen Hey, this morning, if you've got any need for prayer, it's not too late. Our prayer team is going to be lined up on this wall over here. As we get ready to be dismissed, you can come down here and visit with them and pray for anything whatsoever. It's not too little. It's not too big. There's faith for miracles here. Would you guys just hold your hands out like this? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the love of our Heavenly Father and may the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.